Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my wonderful, beautiful friends. Guys, welcome back to our slash pro revenge. Where in today's episode, a rich community bands together to sue one person. And it backfires pretty hard. Guys, the stories are super satisfying in this one, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Subscribe if you haven't. And with that said, we're diving in. Last summer, I bought a house trailer and decided to rent it out. Now, the place did need some work, so I posted two months free rent for putting carpet down in the living room, hooking up the hot water heater, and putting in a toilet. I got a nice couple with a newborn willing to do it. I'm thinking, great. There was no lease and they were on month to month. There was no security deposit and the rent was $4.50 a month. So they did the work and I didn't ask for rent for two months and everything was fine. So side note, there are a few little state laws that come into play. If you don't pay rent for three consecutive months, you are considered a squatter, which means the landlord doesn't have to fix the property and can actually padlock it and deny you entry. If you're on house arrest and get formally evicted, you can be violated for it. Also, you can be formally evicted even if you've already moved out, so the landlord can get rent due. So fast forward 5 months and still no rent money. Yes, they had a newborn and they were young and didn't have a lot of money, but the husband can spend $1,500 on a new engine for his project car. They can also afford to go out to eat and spend money on electronics, but no rent. So after the third month, I did nothing. The weather was turning cold. I didn't put in the furnace like I promised, and if they didn't have a newborn, I would have padlocked the house. They were bragging about their tax refund, and I gave them a shot to catch up, and they basically said that they knew their rights and they were on a rent strike. Illegally, I might add, as you'll see later. So COVID happened, and the husband got laid off, so I gave them a break. When he went back to work, I asked for back rent again, and I was basically told to screw off. So I finally had enough. I told them they had 14 days to get out or I was doing a formal eviction and seeing he was on house arrest, he knew what that meant. Now I honestly was trying to keep him from going back to jail and keep an eviction off the record. I was trying to be nice and civil. So they left and I cut my losses until I checked the property. Everything they put in, they removed. Everything they got free rent for was gone. I got pissed and I filed for a formal eviction. Now it didn't go as well as they hoped. They said that I didn't provide heed, so they went on a rent strike. Only, they didn't file it with the courts or hold the money aside. They thought they could just stop paying rent. What they put into the trailer was less than the rent. The judge agreed with me that seeing they took everything back, I was due two months rent. Then the big thing happened. He starts slamming my character, so I said, Well, you didn't tell me you were going to be on house arrest when you rented the property. Now before then, the judge looked bored, but he perked up. He then asked them if that was true. They responded that it was, and he was ready to make his ruling. So I received 15 months back rent at $450 a month and $2,000 in damages because the way they removed the stuff, they damaged a lot of things. As for him, the judge said that he had no choice but to turn the eviction over to his parole officer. Fast forward to this month. The house arrest was violated and he was arrested. They actually had the nerve to ask me to speak on his behalf. I didn't. 
The ruling was his remaining six months are now being spent in jail, and they now have a bad eviction on their record, and they owe me money. So the moral is, know the law before you play the game. Guys, all I can say is I feel bad for that baby. Opie gave them every opportunity to be decent, allowed them multiple chances to square things up, and they still insisted on acting like idiots. This is a story about my grandparents' friend. I was a young teen, but given the outcome, this story has stuck with me. I've sat on the story for a while, but it's so satisfying to see a gaggle of Karens taken down a notch that I figured I'd share. So for the sake of the story, we'll call my grandparents' friend William. Now my grandparents knew William from way back. My grandmother knew him from school, and my grandfather met him after marrying my grandmother. Anyways, in the 60s, Grandma was a manager at the 7-Eleven. William led a crew that went there every day. It was the only gas station in a 30-minute radius, so everyone knew everyone in that sleepy coastal town kind of way. Now, one day, William was doing a job down on the waterfront, and he slipped, fell, and broke his back. While he was healing from the operation and was broke as a joke, my grandma would always make sure to send him something to eat that she'd pay for when the crew would come in to grab their snacks and gas up knowing William would simply skip the meal to save money for his own family. My grandpa also took him to several doctor's appointments since William couldn't drive for a while, and his tiny little wife couldn't wrangle him into a car by herself. William never forgot that. 20 years later, when he sold off his now very successful business and was a millionaire 20 times over, he promptly told 90% of the world to go to hell, but he kept those that had always been there for him close. Meanwhile, he never moved from the house that he had since before he was rich. His only concessions to his wealth were trips with his wife to see the world, and buying up quite a few acres of the forested land around him. If you weren't his friend, you would take him for every other blue-collar worker in the town. There was absolutely nothing obvious to show that he was worth tens of millions of dollars. After his wife died in the 90s, William decided to take up a new hobby. As he lived outside the city limits, he set up a sawmill and a woodworking shop. He got all the proper permits and everything. The saws were in a big, old, enclosed building in the middle of all that land. So in all honesty, no harm, no foul, right? Wrong. The family that owned the forest behind William's land had just sold it to developers. Thus, a new luxury-gated neighborhood was born. So enter a plethora of Chads and Karens who were mostly from up north and had moved down south to take advantage of the better weather and the nearby beach. Now it didn't take long before they decided to take offense to his little business venture on the other side of the 10-foot tall wall of their neighborhood because it didn't fit with the image of their community. You know, the community that he was decidedly not a part of, so they sued him. They didn't even try to start dialogue with him, they just up and sued him. And William was livid. He was your typical coastal redneck, and he would be damned if those people told him what to do on his own property. So William countered with professional noise studies that showed that some of the kids in that neighborhood drove vehicles that made more noise than his little operation. But the people in the neighborhood simply threw more money at the lawyers to continue on with the lawsuit. Essentially, their plan was to bleed him dry. Their lawyers, who were not locals, actually told William's lawyer that he should probably advise his client to close the shop so that he wouldn't end up bankrupt due to the resources being thrown at him from the homeowners. Due to the relatively modest surroundings of his home, the neighbors and their lawyers had no idea that this man was actually richer than all of them put together. All they saw was an older dude who drove a beat-up 80s model truck and wore dicky jeans and work shirts that lived in what appeared to be a relatively modest home, especially compared to their McMansions. When William's lawyer told him about the conversation, William lost his mind. I can clearly remember him screeching into my parents' driveway in that old work truck. 
cussing up a storm, ranting and raving before he even got into the house. And he came to our house, why? Because my grandmother. Now my grandmother, bless her heart, was known as one of the most giving people in the world. Unless you pissed her off. If you hurt her or someone she cared for, she became one of the most vindictive people that could be found in that town. Now I'm not kidding when I say that her ability for revenge serve cold was legendary amongst the locals. So William had come to the house for a dose of her deviousness. Now us kids weren't allowed inside during that conversation, but after he left that day, I later heard the adults talking about how he proceeded to hire quite a few private investigators to see if there's any dirt to dig up on them. By them, I mean the dozens of people in the neighborhood that were part of that lawsuit. So lo and behold, there was apparently copious amounts of dirt to be had. I still remember him positively crowning about it to my grandparents one fine summer day months later. That 60-something-year-old man was as gleeful as a kid on Christmas morning. And why is that? Because after he learned what his little private army dug up, he starts making some phone calls to various acquaintances in high places. The ensuing fallout meant the lawsuit was dropped. There was quite a list of misdeeds that were discovered, but the ones I heard talked about by the adults that stick out are, there were more than a handful of individuals that owed child support. William very helpfully had the private investigators provide the mother's updated addresses and the employment information so they could pursue said child support and garnishment if they wanted to. On top of that, the IRS became very interested in several of those people, as well as various other neighbors. Finally, one household ended up in prison because the investigators realized that they were drug dealers. The pictures of the transactions caught by the private investigators were helpfully handed over to the sheriff's department. Drugs are bad, kids. So the moral of the story is never piss off a rich redneck. Ain't that the truth, guys. And you know how much I love it when people try to tear others down and then get their asses handed to them. This was such a great revenge and a great example of why you don't throw stones from glass houses. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Some years ago, I started working for a heavy industrial manufacturing company. I lucked out and got a great supervisor for a boss named Joe. The work was hard. I was working 12-hour days for 13 days in a row, and then a Sunday off, and then back for another 13 days. I was young, though, and I didn't mind. It helped my wife and I save up for a house. About six months, Joe noticed that I was picking up on the work pretty fast, and he promoted me to a group leader position. This came with a raise and increased responsibility that most other workers didn't want. Now, Joe would put me in troubled groups in his department, and I would work on general improvements and figuring out the issues. 
This was a union shop, and the mentality was to put in your hours, and the unspoken motto was don't work harder or smarter, just do your time and don't kill the job. So after a few years, Joe was promoted to manager, and he transferred me with him to his department. Now while I wasn't a supervisor yet, I was the supervisor in all but name. The supervisors loved it because they never had to leave the office and I liked it because it was a good learning experience. I made a good reputation and got a lot of respect from workers and from management. Eventually Joe's areas were doing well that he was promoted to plant manager. As before, he wanted to promote me with him, this time to a supervisor spot. We talked in length because the only supervisor spot open was working for Karen. Now Karen was female, a minority, and a member of the LGBTQ community. She was the poster child on the company website, of inclusiveness in the workplace. Like literally, her face was the one they used. She was also a freshly minted manager, and Joe was not confident in her abilities. But me being the plucky go-getter with the can-do attitude, decided to take the position. I had to interview with Karen and got to meet some of her supervisors. They were very quiet and reserved. Once I was promoted, I worked in tandem with another supervisor named Chris. Chris was young, had one small child, and his wife was pregnant and a stay-at-home mom. During the first week, everything was going well. I was learning all the employees, getting to know the process, and getting my feeling for the area. During the second week, Chris's wife went into labor, and she had a hard time. Chris then went on leave for six weeks, and I was tossed into the deep end, in charge of the whole area solo, with 60 employees. I was barely treading water, but I was doing my best. When I would ask Karen for guidance or assistance, she would scoff like it was beneath her, and she would tell me, if I have to do your job, then I don't need you. So I grit my teeth and worked my tail off. My wife got me a smartwatch, and I was averaging 25,000 steps a day trying to keep everything running. We were holding our own, and the employees all did what they could to help, as the situation wasn't ideal for everyone. A few weeks in, I was reviewing some quality documents, and I noticed that one of the quality gates was not being followed. I emailed the info to the quality engineers, and they lost their minds. This was a 4-hour operation on a 20-hour part that we were skipping entirely. It turns out, one of the reasons Karen got promoted was because she was running her department so efficiently. Then it came to light that she made the decision to skip the quality process, saving that 20% of time. Except the engineers never signed off on this, and it caused massive damage control. The process had to be reinstated, and the parts that were never checked had to have warranty extensions. This caused the company to have egg on their face and Karen to look bad. During this time, Karen also became more vindictive. She would openly tell people that she would never be fired and could do what she wanted. She would walk the departments, and if she didn't like someone, she would make the supervisor write them up by the end of the day. She wanted us to find a reason, and if we didn't, she would take it out on the supervisors. For example, she would force the supervisors to stay late to do inventory or something, just because she could. She wouldn't let the supervisors make any decisions until she approved, so something like overtime had to wait for her approval. And she wouldn't respond until the end of the day, causing departments to scramble. Then, if there weren't enough overtime employees to do the work, she would blame it on the supervisors. While all the supervisors knew that this wasn't right, we all needed our job, and we tried to do the best we could for Karen and the employees. We were mainly rodeo clowns, to Karen being the bull. The first day Chris was back, him and I were both pulled into Karen's office. She starts berating me on how poor of a job I was doing, making her look bad, and how I never came to her for help. Now this made me speechless because of the previous comments she made and the fact that the supervisor's work was beneath her. 
After the meeting, I was still a bit stunned, but I put it together that she was about to railroad me out of the company, and this was the first step. So I called Joe and asked for a meeting that same day. When I got together with Joe, I start telling him about all the things that were going on that he had no idea. I told him about the harassment, the abuse, and the vindictive nature. Ironically, while I was speaking with him, another supervisor calls him to complain about Karen as well, with the same grievances. Joe was stunned, and he said he would speak with Karen, but he gave me the option to transfer to any open spot in the company starting the next day. He really didn't want to lose me. I did a lateral transfer to a different department doing engineering and IT work, and I thought that was the end of it. A few weeks later, I was leaving work, and Karen mentioned that I never turned in my laptop and my phone to her, and I told her I didn't know I had to, but that I could give it to her tomorrow. She then smirked and said that she would get it back soon enough. Now, I didn't think too much of it at the time. After about six months, I had my review with my new boss, Jake. The review went great. He was very happy with my work and was a bit surprised at how fast I picked up things. At the end of the meeting, Jake mentioned offhand how Karen tried to intervene in the review and tried to get me fired. But Joe stepped in and squashed it. And I'm thinking, okay, Karen, now you've pissed me off. After I left Karen's department, the turnover rate went through the roof. The supervisors were quitting at a rate of one every three months. Keep in mind that this is a legacy company that had multi-generations working. Fathers, mothers, sons, entire families. Some areas had three generations working side by side, and yet Karen was rolling over employees and supervisors like a steamroller. Working for Karen became the kiss of death. I casually mentioned to Joe about the turnover, and he told me he couldn't figure out what's going on. People were quitting without notice, and no one was doing exit interviews. I told Joe that Karen was writing people up to force them out. When they would hand her the resignation letter or two weeks notice, she would tell them to leave immediately and then throw away the letter. She would then tell HR that the person quit on the spot and that was the end of it. Joe told me that because of who she was and how high she was with the company, they wouldn't do anything to her until they had an airtight case. So I went to work. I took the supervisors working for Karen out drinking a few times a week and made sure I had my hand on the pulse. If someone was quitting, I made sure they emailed their letter of resignation to Karen and CC'd Joe and HR. I told them to stay for their exit interview, and that they called the company integrity hotline for good measure. Things were progressing well, and I had all the supervisors on board except Chris. Chris really needed the job, and Karen was not writing him up. Through a stroke of luck, I found out that Karen was lowballing his raises as a cost-saving measure. That's why she wasn't harassing him. When I told Chris, he was furious, and he wanted to quit on the spot but I encouraged him to speak with Joe before he leaves. Joe and Chris had a very productive meeting, and Chris decided to stay. Now all the supervisors were on board. Joe brought in an HR bigwig from the headquarters in Kansas, and over the course of a week, each supervisor was sent in for an interview discreetly, without Karen knowing. By the time the interviews were over, they had emails, texts, eyewitnesses, and a mountain of evidence. The next part I heard from HR, Joe, etc. Despite everything, the company wanted to keep this quiet, So they brought in Karen and said they no longer needed her, and offered her a very generous severance package. But Karen being Karen, lost it on the HR people. She threatened to sue for discrimination, and she even called a lawyer. And that's when the company pulled out the stack of evidence and rescinded the severance offer. After a few months, Karen found a new job as a plant manager in a different factory, and I found out where. I casually mentioned to the union reps at my factory where Karen was working, and suggested that maybe they should give the union at the other factory a call. She was fired within three months for employee harassment. The last I heard, she had to sell her house and move out of state to find a job.
Okay, so I've always been the black sheep of the family. My cousins grew up to be doctors, professors, creatives, and whatever else. Meanwhile, I've managed to just make a humble, stable passive income through some business decisions. Nothing fancy, but I can afford a one bedroom in New York City and live comfortably while working a part time job in a cafe. Now, everyone in my family, including my own parents, judge me harshly for not pushing myself to do what my cousins do, especially my one cousin who we'll call Randy. Now, think the stereotypical dude who got rich thanks to working for his dad. Now multiply that by 10, and you've got Randy. Anyway, he always gave me the most grief. And eventually, I just tune them out because I get to enjoy my life with my significant other, work part time, and still afford what I want. So to cut it short, Randy has a wife and two kids, but he also had a mistress. Now, I found this out because one day I was walking through the city when I saw him walking down the street with a woman who clearly wasn't his wife. They had their arms around each other. So I decide, F it, let's see how this plays out. So I follow them for five hours, snap several photos, one of them going into a hotel together. I held on to these and waited until Christmas that year, about six months later. I then decided to drop the printed photos in front of everybody at the table before dinner and made sure to get his wife to see them. So cue screaming, fighting, and I actually got a black eye out of it. It was Randy's dad who did it though, not him. So cue the police and a lot of questioning, and my significant other and I get kicked out. We head back home after talking to the cops one last time. So the aftermath. Besides Randy's wife and another cousin who hates Randy, my family cut me off entirely for several years. Randy got divorced and he lost full custody of his kid after threatening his ex. My family occasionally tries to guilt me into apologizing, but my response is some variation of I'm not going to apologize for outing a cheater, and I'm promptly blocked for another few months. So I've gotten married, and that's when my family last tried to get into contact with me, and they were actually nice for once. Seeing me move on, I guess, eats at them. I don't know. That's it, really. I'm living my best life now with a good family as opposed to a crap one. The best revenge is really living well. I agree with that 100%, guys. And I don't know why Opie's family sided with a cheating cousin and decided to cut OP from the family. You can definitely tell who the golden child of the family is. Cheating? Oh, 100% fine. But OP exposing the cousin as a cheater? Yeah, you're banished from the family. Get out. And that, my friends, brings us to another end of our slash pro revenge. Guys, I hope you enjoyed these satisfying stories today. If you did, hit that thumbs up. And if you missed the last episode on the channel, it's an r slash entitled people. A Karen hits a friggin' stop sign and then calls 911 and blames OP because he watched it happen. It's such a crazy story, so go check it out if you haven't. And myself and Stevie Boy will see you guys in the next one. We love you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.